Happy Fourth of July. I see that many people in our church family have uh, started their vacation, their Fourth of July celebrations, a little early. Uh, we call those people heathens, okay? <laughs> I'm only kidding. It was a joke. Please don't email me. Um, I want to, real quick, invite a young man up here to join me just really quick. Buck Williams, please come up here. <laughs> Most of you don't really know why you're clapping, but uh, I'm about to tell you why. Uh, so, Buck, Buck, how old are you? 11 years old, and so you're going into seventh grade? Awesome. So, Buck, this past a week and a half ago, about a week and a half ago, was baptized into Christ, and so I wanted to celebrate, uh, yeah, so, so that's why we're clapping. We're celebrating um, Buck and his decision to surrender his life. Uh, under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And as Paul says in Romans 6, when we're baptized, we're united with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. Our, our, our life of sin, uh, being buried with Christ in his death, and when we come out of that water, uh, uh, we're being raised to new, new life. And, and I love what Paul says. Even, um, and I, Buck is a, a very, very smart young man. If you've spent even just a few minutes with him, he's very smart. Um, I have no doubt in my mind that he knows the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I love, and one of my favorite verses uh, in Scripture, and I've quoted it so many times, is, is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, behold, the new has come. And that is, that is true of this young man. The old is gone, the new has come. You are a new creation in Jesus. And so I want to um, take a moment and pray over him. I want to invite you uh, to pray out loud along with me if you want to. You can pray very silently even, so nobody hears you if that's what you want to do. You can pray in your own heart, or you can just agree with my prayer. But um, let's pray over Buck and just thank God uh, for what he's done in his life. Father, I thank you so much for Buck. I thank you, Lord, that he's, he loves you. God, I thank you that he has uh, surrendered his life to you. God, I thank you that you have called him to yourself. That's a doing uh, of you. You have done that. You have called him to yourself. You have called him uh, to be in relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, I thank you that he's a smart young man, that he's so gifted in so many different ways. I thank you for Jody and Zane and, and the way that they have raised him up um, and pointed him to you. Uh, Lord, I thank you for their faithfulness in that. And God, I just pray a blessing over him on this day moving forward for the rest of his life. All the plans that he will make, like we all make plans, Lord God, I pray that you would direct his steps. I pray that the path he has uh, in front of him, a path in which you have set for him, Lord, that you would guide him in your truth, that he would know you deeper, uh, more intimately, God, through the reading of your word, through the worship with other believers, and God, through, through the breaking of bread, through communion, Lord, that, that he would just draw closer and closer to you, Father. I pray uh, uh, that you would establish uh, your will for his life, God. He, he may have things that he loves to do and things he's interested in and things in which you have gifted in him, Amen. But Lord, I pray the calling that you have on his life to not only follow you, but God, that you would call him into whatever it is that you have plans for him to use him uh, to point other people to Jesus and to glorify your great name. That is why we are here, to be the light of Jesus and to point people to the glorious truth of the gospel. And so, Lord, would you begin that in his life even now, encourage him through your Holy Spirit, that he is filled with your spirit now, God, as he follows you. Lord, use him mightily. For the, for the sake of your great name. I pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Buck. Oh, oh, we got a book for him um, with his name on it. I know Buck, uh, Buck already has a Bible, but 
uh, we wanted to uh, get him a Bible from the church with his name on it. Um, and so thank you, Buck, for coming up here. You can go and sit down again. <laughs> yes. So, so amazing, so amazing. Um, you know, God, God's at work in this church. And, uh, you know, we can all be a part of it. We can all be a part of God being at work in this church. Um, and so if you have any questions on how you can serve, or how, how you can be a part of what God's doing in this church, please don't hesitate to ask. Don't hesitate to ask me. Don't hesitate to ask a, a, an elder or a deacon or anybody. Just please um, um, don't hesitate to ask us that. So uh, we're going to be um, in Hebrews chapter uh, 4 today. Hebrews chapter 4. The title of the sermon is The Power of the Word. In July, I thought, you know, I'm going to preach some things from my heart, but it seems as if it's going to kind of turn into its own sermon series. Uh, this week, Power of the Word. Next week, The Power of Studying God's Word. And then the week after that, uh, The Power of Praying God's Word. And so we're going to kind of look at some Bible study tools to help you in your own time of reading the Bible. Um, you know, I don't know if many of you remember, I, I don't even know if I fully remember uh, the Pledge of Allegiance to the Flag, which many of us grew up doing. Uh, they don't do that in public schools anymore. It's been removed from the public school system. Um, if I remember correctly, it goes like this. I uh, pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, uh, to which it stands one nation under, to the republic in which it stands, okay, <laughs> to the republic in which it stands, one nation under God, indivi uh, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Okay. I, I do remember it, kind of. Um, every word matters, apparently, which that's okay. Uh, but that, is, that, that was one time, at one point in time, foundational uh, for us as a nation, for, for the education system. It was very foundational. Um, much like uh, what this used to be. This was very foundational at one point in time for the nation, for the country, uh, for the United States of America. The Bible's very foundational. As Jay said, the founding fathers, not all of the founding fathers, and the founding fathers were a very large group of individuals. Not all of them may have been completely and fully surrendered under, under the lordship of Jesus Christ, but, but most of them were. And they, they uh, in, incorporated in the fabric of how this nation was established the word of God. Many of them believed. Even, uh, even uh, Benjamin Franklin was, was known to be a deist, but he, he believed in a supreme higher power in which uh, many people believe that he thought of it being Almighty God. And so uh, the Founding Fathers established uh, and rooted this country in the Word of the Living God. It was once very foundational. Even outside of the Bible Belt, the Word of God in our nation was, was very revered. And the, there's, a, there's a great fear of the Lord, which seems to, in many ways, has been drifting from the fabric, if you will, the DNA of our country. I wouldn't say that completely, um, but the church... Nonetheless, this is, has to be the most foundational piece in which we build our ministry and, and the work that we do as the church is the Word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and that's what we do. And so that's what I want to pray for real quick is uh, as we uh, unpack uh, you know, today's message, my prayer is just, and it will continue to be my prayer over the next few weeks, that every single person in this room, every person who's not here hopes maybe watch, watches this online later, that our church at Hillcrest, we would be a people that love the Bible. This is not just something you open up because the preacher tells you to and you read it and you check off a box. This is the Word of the living God. It's powerful. And so I want to unpack a little more about that uh, here in a moment. So let me open up in prayer and then we'll dive in. Father, I just thank You so much for the Word of God. I thank You that it is, it is power. It is Your Word. It is living. 
And Lord, would you use it today in a way uh, that just supernaturally just sparks a deep desire uh, for every person in this room to want to know this word and read this word. And I ask that you would do that through the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I went on a ski trip uh, many years ago with my buddy, a couple of my buddies, and he lived in Denton, and I lived in Fort Worth at the time, and when we got back from the ski trip, my truck was in Denton. It was an older truck. It was a 93 Toyota pickup. Um, it probably would still be running even today uh, had my grandpa never given it to me. <laughs> he took really good care of it. He gave it to me, and I just kind of ran it into the ground and um, somehow was able to sell it for a, a few dollars uh, years ago. But when we got back from the ski trip, I was to get in my truck and drive home to Fort Worth, and the truck would not start. And so I don't know anything about cars, and me and my buddy put our heads together. We still know nothing about cars, but we're trying to figure out what's wrong with the car, looking at the battery, you know, opening up the hood, doing car things, and just pretending like we know what to do, messing with wires. You know, you've watched enough movies, you know that if you just uh, mess with a wire, it may just start up, and, but that didn't happen. And, and so I called my dad, you know, what does any son do or daughter do when they don't know anything about cars or whatever? Call your dad. And so I called my dad, and I said, Dad, the truck won't start. And the first thing he said, well, is there gas in the truck? Now, at this point, I was frustrated. You know, um, it had been a while. I just wanted to get home. I was tired. And, and um, so I, out of frustration, you know, kind of raised my voice. I said, Dad, obviously there's gas in the truck. Of course there's gas in the truck. Why would there not be gas in the truck? And um, so he kind of walked me through some other possible uh, things to do to get the truck to start. It just wouldn't start. He says, all right, hold on. I'll come up there, and I'll help you. So he drove from Fort Worth to Denton, and I waited. And so we got there. And he pulls out this uh, red, you know where I'm going with this, this red gasoline bin or uh, uh, thing. And, and he puts, the first thing he does is he puts gas in the truck. And the truck started up no problem. And I was so embarrassed. <laughs> yeah, but the truck, the truck started up. And, you know, the point is, the truck looked just fine. The truck looked like it should have been able to start. The battery looked good. All of the wires looked, in, in my opinion, normal. Um, the tires were good. Everything looked good in that truck. Good enough to where I would think it would start. But it didn't have any gas. And if, the, if it doesn't have any gas, it didn't have any power. And if it doesn't have any power to it, it's not going to start. Right? There's no gas. It's not going to have any power to start. Here's my point. This Bible has power in it. It will convict you of your sin in a good way for God to lead you back into close relationship with Him. Um, it will empower you. It will guide your life, direct your life. It will speak to you. It, it covers more than you think about your life personally. This, this Word is alive. It's powerful, this Bible. It's the Word of the living God. Um, but if it remains closed, maybe on your nightstand or your coffee table, uh, and just collects dust. And I know we live in a technology age you know, where many people read Bibles off uh, iPad or phone, which is totally fine, but if you don't ever pull up that app, if you have to put your thumb on an app and have to download it all over again, it might be you know, a telltale of you haven't used it in a while. But if this book is not ever opened, it's dead. It doesn't, there's no power in that if you don't read it, Right? It, it, it may have all of the things I just mentioned and far more, but none of it matters if you don't read it. There's no power in this if you don't read it. It's not a, it's not a word that's alive. It's a word that's dead if you don't read it. 
But if you read it, it has the power to change your life. And that's the, the title of the sermon today. It's the power of the word. A professor from my Bible college was telling me about a story. He had taken a group of about 30 college students to this, I believe the temple is in Allen. It's called the Krishna Temple. And uh, Krishna is in India. It's a, it's a god that's worshipped primarily in India. Uh, they call it Lord Krishna, this god that they worship. And so he, it's a big temple, I believe it's in Allen. He takes this big group of students there to just, you can go toward that, that temple. And there's this uh, guy there who, who works there, and he follows Lord Krishna, and, and he starts asking him these questions. You know, they, they follow these writings of, of uh, this uh, ancient guru or, or guru called Prabhupada, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but they have their own kind of Bible, if you will, their own fo- writings in which they follow Lord Krishna. And he's asking all these He's, uh, he's asking this one guy that he's interviewing in front of all of these, these students, how often have you read the writings of the Prabhupada? How often have you read the writings of the Lord Krishna that you follow? And he says, oh, at least, at least over three times I've read all of the writings that there is to, to be able to be read about Lord Krishna. I want to know everything there is to know about Lord Krishna. I want to know how I'm supposed to follow Lord Krishna. I want to be the best follower and disciple of Lord Krishna that I can be. In an effort to not embarrass the students, they had removed themselves from that guy. He asked all of the students, 30 or so college-age students, how often have all of you, or how many times have all of you read the Bible uh, through, at least one time, how many, or how many times, how many of you, rather, have read the Bible all the way through from Genesis to Revelation? And only two of them raised their hands. Only two of them. And many of them said, uh, we weren't raised to know God. We weren't raised to, uh, where the Bible was foundational in our home. So we went back to talk to uh, the, the guy who worked at the temple who follows Lord Krishna, and he said, he asked him, what do you think about Christians? And he said, the man laughed. I said, oh, so you think that's funny? He said, I do think that's funny. Tell me why you think it's funny when I ask you, what do you think about Christians? And he said, Christians make me laugh because they don't know what the name Christian means. They don't know that it means follower of Jesus or disciple of Jesus Christ. Christians, they don't know what that means to actually be a disciple or a follower of Jesus Christ. He says, I'm a, I'm a follower of Lord Krishna. I want to know everything there is to know about Lord Krishna. I want to read all I can about Lord Krishna. And he said, in my experience, having many discussions with many Christians over the years, Christians don't know their Bibles. They don't know their Bibles. And the professor told me, you know, as he was telling me the story, Nate, that was one of the best sermons I've ever heard preached in my life. The truth of that, that many Christians across our nation don't know their Bibles. He says, we have the one true God. We have the one true Lord. We have the Messiah. We have the creator of the universe. We have the one true King and Lord Jesus Christ. We have the, these are the holy scriptures inspired by the, the God of the universe. The Holy Spirit has inspired every word in this book. The Creator God has inspired this book. We of all people should be people of the Word of God. We of all people should be people of the scriptures. Christians, we should be people of the Word. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible, I quote this often as well. Hebrews 4, verse 12, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, 
and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This word is powerful. The Greek root word for living, the root word is zoe, means life. So if you're living in Christ, you have life. The word zoe in the Greek is life. And the, the Greek word for active here is energes. Energes. It's literally where we get the word energy. So if you think about, based off, off this verse, the Word of God is life and energy. The Word of God is life and energy. Think about that when you read the Bible later today or tomorrow, the Bible reading plan that we have, uh, hard copies that you can pick up. We're reading through the New Testament and the Psalms and Proverbs. We left the Old Testament out because I thought if people aren't reading already, uh, not to throw four, five, six chapters of the Bible on them every single day. But you, of course, can read any plan you want and as much of the Bible as you want every day. But this is very doable. It amounts to about two chapters every day. But if you read this, you open up this word when you read it again, tomorrow morning perhaps, knowing that it's life and energy. The Word of God is life and energy. John Owen, who's written a common commentary on the Bible, he says, we know that the Word has life and energy because of its effects. You know if you read this Bible how it affects your life, how it changes your life, how it renews your mind. Uh, William Vine he says, it is a minister of death to those who reject it and of life to those who receive it. The Word of God is life and energy. But for who? For who? Well, for you and me, Christians. If we read the Bible, it's life and energy for those who believe this Word to be truth. It is life and energy. Uh, If we were to take two poles uh, uh, called anemic Christians and and powerful Christians or empowered Christians, I think here's what they would look like. The first poll is this, anemic Christians. The, difference, the differences between an anemic Christian and a powerful Christian or an, an empowered Christian. What does it mean to be anemic? Well, weakness, tired, lack of uh, vitality. Um, you could define it other ways, but how can you tell if a Christian is anemic, uh, a weak Christian? Not, not necessarily a mature Christian, but someone who's not rooted and established in the powerful Word of God. They don't have any zeal. An anemic Christian does not have any zeal. They have no energy. They have, they have no energy in life from the Word of God. They have no zeal. Their faith is stagnant. Their faith is stagnant. Uh, they're not try, stepping out, trying new things in the church, wanting to uh, uh, serve and read the Word and study the Word and, and teach the Word and share the Word. Their faith is stagnant not changing, which by the way, I think if the Holy Spirit lives in us, it's almost impossible to remain stagnant. It's almost impossible, but it can be. The Spirit of God can lay dormant in your life if you allow Him to. Uh, But there's not much change in the life of a Christian if they're an anemic Christian, if they're stagnant. They have no zeal, no energy. Uh, Think about the word discipleship. If you think about the word discipleship, it's very close to the word discipline. Very close to the word discipline. Point being, if you want to grow spiritually, you need to have spiritual disciplines. We all need to have spiritual disciplines, and maybe that's a sermon for another day. Uh, evidence of another, um, another evidence of a, a, an anemic Christian is they gripe a lot. They gripe a lot. I don't like this. I don't like that. Uh, we've never done that before. I don't like the preacher. I don't, I don't like the carpet or, the, or, the, or the, uh, the concrete. Now, don't get me wrong. Let me first say I'm very opinionated on what I like, and, and just like you're very opinionated, every single person, we're all very opinionated, but to lose focus on what's most important, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what's most important. We could meet in this building as is for the rest of our days, and God would do a mighty work. 
a mighty work. So it's fine to be opinionated. It's fine to be opinionated. But, but we don't want to be gripers where we gripe. And so an anemic Christian is more focused on everything else, everything else in the fellowship of the church, but less focused on, the, on Jesus and his gospel. And so if you've read 1 Corinthians 10, and you can go home and read it today, Paul, the Apostle Paul, gives four reasons why many of the Israelites died in the wilderness in the Old Testament. Um, idolatry was one of them. They, they cared more about eating and drinking and having fun. It was idolatry. They worshipped other idols, and many of them died because of that. And then sexual immorality. 23,000 dead for being sexually immoral. They tested the Lord. They were killed by ser- serpents. Testing the Lord. And here's what's crazy. They griped. (laughs) They griped. That's what Paul says. They literally grumbled. Anemic Christian will gripe and grumble all day long, up and down this, up and down the streets, wanting this or that, being less focused on the the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, And they whine a lot. Anemic Christians whine a lot. Uh, If you have kids, um, you know this. If you raise kids, you know this. And you were a kid, and you should know this. I was a kid. I whined a lot. Children whine a lot. There are Christians who whine a lot. Just whine a lot. I don't, I don't, know, I don't know your will for my life, God. And so I'll just, I'll just stay stagnant and not do anything until you just miraculously reveal your will to my life. I don't know your will for my life. I can't overcome temptation, Lord. I keep falling into temptation. You almost wish that God would just say, stop it. Just quit whining and, and read the Word of God. God's will is not a mystery. It's not a mystery. The will of God is not a mystery to anyone who's following Jesus, who's filled with the Holy Spirit. His mystery, his, his will is laid out in His Word. And the power to overcome temptation is, is right here. The Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. Anemic Christians will fall into temptation a lot. Man, we're all tempted. Every single one of us is. If you are following Jesus, you will be tempted. That is what the, the enemy does. He te- Jesus was tempted. But if you're not rooted and established in this Word, you will fall victim to temptation. You will fall victim to temptation because you will lack the power to overcome it. You will lack the power to overcome it. Think about Jesus when He was in the wilderness for 40 days. He was tempted by the enemy. He didn't eat for 40 days. If I go without six hours and I'm trying to eat healthy, I want to eat better, I want to take care of my body, you know, if I go without six hours, the first, if I see Cain's chicken, I'm getting the, the, the meal with the most chicken, double fries, and, and an extra thing of bread, and a Coke. And then I'm just miserable after because I'm so starving. Sometimes I just lack the discipline to hold off until I get home. Maybe eat something healthier. But Jesus went 40 days. See how easy it is for, for me to be tempted? On the way home, I see Cain's chicken. I've got an empty stomach. Jesus went 40 days without food. And the enemy tempted him. And he tempted him with some very uh, last offerings, if you will. And how did Jesus fight off those temptations? Did Jesus say, did he, did he use philosophy? You know, philosophy was very big in, in their day. In the, in the time that Jesus walked the earth, philosophy, you think about the Apostle Paul, just go read the book of Acts. Philosophy, did he say, now Satan, uh, uh, the phil- philosophical ramifications of what I might do here, it may have far-reaching effects on society as we know it. So did, 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 did Jesus use philosophy to, to fight off 
the devil? No. Did he use theology? Now theology, that seems pretty good. Now Satan, the theological ramifications of what I might do here, it may have far-reaching effects on the church as we know it in the years to come. Did he use theology? No, he didn't use theology. How about non-directive therapy? You know, Satan, if you'll just hold off for a minute, I'm going to go get a group. I'm going to call down some angels. We're going to have a little small group discussion. And I'm going to figure out and get different ideas from them. They're coming from the throne room. We're going to talk and we're going to get some ideas and maybe think about some other possibilities and get everyone's input. And then I'll make a decision. And then I'll make a decision what I think is best. Should I give in to temptation or should I see what other people think? No, it's not what Jesus did. What did Jesus use when He fought off temptation from the devil? What did He use? The Word of God. He quoted Scripture. It's all there. He used the Bible. Three times Satan tempts Jesus. And each time he quoted the Word of God. It's clear. If Jesus used the Word, don't you think we should use the Word? The Word of God. Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to Your Word. I seek You with all my heart. Do not let me stray from Your commands. I have hidden Your Word in my heart that I might not sin against You. I've hidden Your Word in my heart that I might not sin against You. Let that be your battle cry when you feel tempted to look at something on the internet or when you feel tempted to lustfully look at another man or woman. I have hidden Your Word in my heart, Lord, that I might not sin against You. Hide the Word of God in your heart. Praise be to You, O Lord. Teach me Your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from Your mouth. I rejoice in following Your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on Your precepts. These are all different words that could be applied to the Bible. I meditate on Your precepts and consider Your ways. I delight in Your decrees. I will not neglect Your Word, the psalmist says. Many people believe it was King David, but... I will not neglect your word, he says. Now think about this. If the word of God is life and energy, then who, more than anyone else, wants to interrupt our lives as Christians? Then Satan. Who, more than anyone else, wants to tempt us from living and receiving life and energy from the word of God? Satan. By the way, it's not just sinful things that keeps us from reading the word. It's not just sinful things. It's good things. It's good things that can keep us from reading the word. Like a good TV show. For me, it was always a sermon. I just want to watch sermons and just lay on my couch with my iPad and watch sermons instead of being established in the Word. It can be good things. It can be holy emails that keep you from reading. The first thing you'd rather do is, just, is just respond to emails. That's a good thing. You've got a job, you respond to emails. It can be good things that actually keep you from reading this Word. It's not just sinful things. And so to read it is going to require discipline in your life. It's going to require discipline in your life. And so the psalmist says in 119, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That, to meditate and to memorize on Scripture. Think about that all day. And, and that's such an easy verse to memorize. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. When you are tempted to fall into the trap in which Satan will set for you, I have hidden your word in my heart, O Lord, that I might not sin against you. You hide this Word in your heart so it's clear as day. What do we need to do? Hide the Word of God in our hearts. Know it. Meditate on it. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Memorize it. Not even that. Speak it. 
Speak it out loud. Recite it. Speak it into being. With my lips, Psalm 119, verse 13, with my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. Hide this word in your heart. Meditate on it. Memorize it and speak it into being. Speak it over the enemy. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. Meditate. Memor- so meditate is to think about what you've read. Don't just read it and go about your day, check off a box. Think about what you've read. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Think about that. Because the more you meditate on it, the easier it will become to memorize it. Meditate on it. Memorize it. And then speak it into being. This is literally coming from the Bible. This is literally coming from the Word of God. This is what God's Word is declaring for His people to do. Meditate on this Word. Memorize it and speak it into being. And, and many anemic Christians, to go back to that, aren't doing these things. And this is how easily we, we can fall into temptation. And God's Word is our counselor. Again, we see this. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. The Word of God will lead you. will lead you and guide you. He is your counselor. One of the ways that, one of the, ways the, the Holy Spirit, one of the names the Holy Spirit has in, in different versions of the Bible is the counselor. Your testimonies are my delight. Is the Word of God your delight? They are my counselors. But if we don't read it, we can't possibly meditate on it. And if we don't meditate on it, it's unlikely that we're going to memorize it. If we don't memorize it, then it's very unlikely that we're actually going to speak it into being and recite it. Have you ever had a conversation with a a Christian who just, every other couple of sentences is, is a reference to the Bible, a verse or a word? Or they, I don't know exactly where it is, but I know, I know that the Bible says this. Have you ever, does that annoy you? Maybe it, it annoys you because you wish it was you. And it can be you. It can be all of us. I have, I, when I read books, I have to read them very, very slowly. And I have a very hard time retaining information. I always had. Always have. I have a very hard time to retain information. And that hasn't changed. I have literally prayed that the Lord would, would help me to retain information as I read but I don't have a problem retaining this word. I'm not good at, at memorization. I'm not good at memorization, but, but somehow through the power and supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, God has allowed me to memorize much of the Bible, different verses, different places. And there's different seasons where you might even be able to memorize a whole chapter or a whole book. A whole book. It's not impossible to, to memorize the word of God different verses. It's not hard. You can do it. You just have to read it. You just have to read it. You study it. Know it. Meditate on it. Memorize it. Speak it into being. Many reasons, I think, why uh, people don't read the Bible. Maybe one or more of these will resonate with you. I try to read the Bible, but I don't really get anything out of it. Maybe that resonates with someone in this room. I find the Bible to be boring. Can we all resonate with that at some point in our Christian life? If you've read Leviticus, you've said, man, this is boring. I literally can take no practical application to this. I find the Bible to be boring. I find parts of the Bible really difficult to understand. That's all of us, right? In some degree or another, that's all of us. There's parts in the Bible I don't understand. But there are books to help us, and there are people. We help each other. And so maybe you can resonate with that. I find parts of the Bible really hard or difficult to understand. I don't have time to read the Bible. How many of us have said that? I don't have time to read the Bible. I want to read the Bible, I just don't have time. I have kids, I have a job, I've got to get here at this time, I've got to be there at this time, then I've got to sleep, because sleep is important. I don't have time to read the Bible. 
and I don't like some of the things the Bible says or teaches. Now, how many can relate to that? And there's more things that could be said, but the fact that we say these things is just an excuse. If you have the Spirit of the living God inside of you, He's going to uh, give you understanding of this Word. Okay, and so I don't understand. I remember reading in uh, the Gospels uh, several years ago, and I literally, this is how this happened. I, Jesus was giving a parable, and I did not know what he was saying. I had no idea what he was talking about. It was very discouraging, to be honest, because I, I felt a call into ministry, and I wanted to preach. And I was like, I can't preach if I don't have a clue what Jesus is saying. And some of his parables aren't easy to understand. And so I was, I'm just as me just being honest, I was discouraged. I don't know what he is talking about. About 10 verses long, I don't know what he's talking about. Here's what's crazy. A few verses later, Peter piped up. Lord, we don't know what you're talking about. Can you explain to us this parable? And by the grace of God, Jesus explained the parable. Even the disciples did not know often what Jesus was saying. Jesus was preparing them for his departure. They were still lost. They had been with Jesus in the flesh for three years. And he used terminology from time to time to prepare them for his departure. one day departure, where he would sit at the right hand of the Father in glory. They couldn't fathom that. It's okay if you don't understand sometimes when you read the Bible. The disciples didn't understand. The disciples did not understand always. And, and you know, another thing with the time, I don't have time. Well, uh, a mentor of mine told me, I think it was uh, last year or the year before, um, it seemed really profound at the time. It's very, very simple. Uh, but he said, we all have the same amount of time. <laughs> Every single one of us. The same amount of time. People across the world, the same amount of time. 24 hours in a day. And if you're a math person, you are thinking about the minutes and the seconds and that. And We all have the same amount of time. The same amount of time. We all have the same amount of time. Uh, in fact, let me show you something really quick. In our Bible reading plan today, Psalm 127 is on it. So there's a New Testament. I believe we're in Colossians. And then we're still in the Gospel of Luke in the Bible reading plan. And we're reading through the Psalms. And part of the reading for today is Psalm 127. Now, if you want to time this, feel free. Psalm 127. Uh, Listen to how long it takes me to read this psalm. And I'm not going to read it fast. I'm just going to read it how I would read it. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, this is verse 3, Behold, children are... I may not have to know every verse or or what this means, but I can tell you something as I was reading this morning, so I wouldn't mess up any words doing it right now. This brought tears to my eyes. Behold, children are a heritage reward, the fruit of the womb, a reward. My wife is pregnant. God's speaking to me. Psalm 127, Old Testament Psalm. The Lord of heaven speaking into my life. Children are a heritage of the Lord. In the womb, what, what a reward that is. What, what, a, what a blessing that is that God on high would, would knit together a baby in the womb of my wife. Psalm 127, Old Testament Psalm. Don't have to know everything that it says. Don't have to understand every word in it. But God's still speaking to me. You see, I'm not even done. Verse 4, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children's, are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. 
You may not have to know everything that you're reading or understand it in that moment. There are books to help all of us understand this more. You can simply text message someone and say, hey, what does this mean? And maybe you'll get a response right then. Maybe it's later. Maybe it's the next day. God is still speaking to us in his word, even if we don't completely and fully understand it. And that is amazing to me. And so living in God's word, reading it, meditating on it, memorizing it, speaking it into being, hiding it in our hearts is a a form of discipleship. In fact, uh, living in God's word or abiding in it is, is evidence of true discipleship. Listen to what Jesus says in John 8, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide, now we know this word at this point, abide. We've seen this in in John 15 and 16. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you live in my word, if you hang out in this word, if you spend time in this word, that's proof that you belong to Jesus, that you're a follower of Jesus, that you're his disciple. You can be a young person. You can be uh, an older person uh, to prove uh, that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. You live and abide in this word. You live and abide in this word. The word of God, it, this is the means for, uh, to sanctification. We are sanctified already, uh, which means it's a fancy Christian word, well, biblical word, to, to be set apart, to be holy. Sanctifi- to be sanctified is to be set apart. So that's one, but there's also a lifelong process called sanctification. A lifelong process called sanctification. And to really uh, simplify it, it's, it's, it's our lives being rooted and established in the Word, being a part of the body of Christ where the Holy Spirit is, is shaping us and conforming us to be more like Jesus. Sanctification and being sanctified. When we come, when we come to Jesus, our salvation is sealed by the blood of the Lamb, by Jesus. Our salvation is sealed by the Holy Spirit. But what about our sanctification? Now, in one sense, we are set apart. People of God. We belong to Him. But a lifelong process of sanctification. And our sanctification can be disrupted and interrupted. An enemy. He's after all of us. And the more you pursue Jesus, and the more you read the Word, and the more you the Word, the enemy will attack you. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy all that you work for. All that you work for. He wants to come after your family. He wants to come after your, your friends, your relatives. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy your life. And the more you, you follow Jesus, the more He will come after you. And this is going to sound crazy, but, but blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those. Jesus said, listen to what Jesus says. This is Jesus in His high priestly priestly prayer. He's praying for us. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. How many of us don't we just, have you ever thought, I just want to go and be with Jesus. The world is, is crazy. And Jesus says, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world. Right? We're not of the world. We're set apart. Just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Jesus says. What is truth? Your word is truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. The truth of the word of God. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5, he talks about Jesus sanctifying his church by cleansing her, meaning the church, by the washing of water with the Word. 
The Word of God cleanses. It renews. It restores. It strengthens. It's the Word that we need. It's the Word of God that we need. The church needs the Word of God. The Word of God. And the church needs people, grandparents, who are so excited about the Word of God. Grandparents that are excited about the Word of God. Are you a grandparent in this room? Are you excited about the Word of God in which your grandchildren can see and take notice? My grandma, my grandpa loves the Word of God. That's what the church needs. Grandparents who love the Word of God. They can catch the overflow of that. Church needs fathers, dads who are excited about the Word of God, who love the Word of God, who want to instill in their children what the Bible teaches. That's what the church needs. Dads and fathers who love the Word of God. The church needs mothers who love the Word of God, who are so into the Word of God that their children can catch the overflow and the wisdom and the truth from that. The church needs moms who love God's Word. The church needs teenagers who love God's Word, who are into the Word. It makes them stronger, prepares them for the world. The church needs teenagers who love this Word, who live in this Word. Sunday school teachers who can't hardly wait to show up here. We don't have Sunday school right now, but we will. The church needs Sunday school teachers who cannot wait to get here to teach this Word. And the church obviously needs leaders who are living in this Word. Because this Word produces life and energy. And it needs to be poured out into the church at large. Hillcrest, globally. The church needs life and energy and If the church has life and energy, it would be a room full of empowered Christians. And that's my second one, and this is going to be short. Empowered Christians. Empowered Christians. Christians who who possess the power of God, who are living in this Word. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. An anemic Christian coming to church but still active in the world. That's what an anemic Christian is. Loves to come to church still active in the world, living worldly. But his delight is in the law. Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all he does, and all she does, they prosper. I want to be a tree who's planted by streams of water. Trees need water to preserve its life. I want to be that tree. If you delight in God's Word, it will take root in your life. It's that simple. It's that simple. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. This Word is powerful. Some people don't want to read it because they know that it will, it will bring to their awareness the things in which they should not be doing. It convicts. It convicts. John Westcott said, it is sharper than the most formidable weapon of earthly warfare, the Word of God. It is more powerful than a nuclear weapon or a laser beam because it doesn't destroy a man. It penetrates right to his soul. That's how powerful this Word is. It penetrates to your soul. Maybe that's why some of us don't read it. We don't want to be changed. We, don't want, we, we want to come to church. 
but we don't really want to change who we are. We like the people we're hanging out with. We're doing the, the worldly things. But if I read this word, I might just be changed. And to be changed is a good thing. Remember in Ezekiel 37, the Lord said to Ezekiel, uh, preach to the bones. Ezekiel's like, but they're dead bones, Lord. It looks pretty dead out there in the valley. Here's what the Lord said. Preach to the bones, Ezekiel. Ezekiel said, hear the word of the Lord. The bones came together. Muscles and skin and flesh came on the bones. And Ezekiel saw a mighty army, but there was no breath in them. And what did the Lord say? Preach to the breath. Hear the word of the Lord. And then breath came in them. And Ezekiel saw a mighty army ready for battle. Is that who we are? A mighty army ready for battle? Because the world is coming against the church. Certainly more than it has in my lifetime. The world is coming against the church. Ezekiel, the Lord said, go and preach to the dry, dead bones of Israel. Powerful. And they too will become a mighty army because the Word of God is life and energy. Life and energy. John Westcott said the Word has unrivaled keenness. It pierces, in fact, to the most secret parts of a man. For who knows a man except a man's spirit within him and the Spirit of God? The Word changes. I remember when I was reading the Bible back in 2015, I had a plan, I was reading it, and I, and I remember it had been three, almost four weeks, and I hadn't read it. And I started to feel a little convicted. I feel like I should be reading, and I haven't been reading. And I went to church, and literally, it was a guest speaker came. <laughs> they were in the middle of a series, and it was a guest speaker, and the first thing he said was, and I had stopped at John 7, it had been almost a month, open your Bibles to John chapter 8. And it was like a light bulb went off. It was like the Holy Spirit saying, hey, it's okay, just pick up where you left off. It's amazing that God does that. He doesn't punish you for... Not, he's not going to lay the hammer down. You're a bad Christian. You're a bad person. If you're not reading the Bible. He's gracious. He lo- he's, he's saying to us today, read the Bible. Just read the Bible. There's life and there's energy there. Life and energy. And so I want to uh, close with this story and then I want to I give some practical application to how we can do that so that you can do this in your daily reading. Not necessarily a side study, but just your daily reading. Mark Worley, who's a professor at Dallas Christian College, told me the story. He, had, he has two sons uh, today. One of them, a uh, very big guy. You know, he calls him a behemoth of a boy. Another one, very, very skinny. They don't even look like they're related. And the younger one, he said, this is his words, he, he looked as when he was really young that he could be a poster child of a starving nation. His, his sons just looked very vastly different in size. And he said when he was very, very, very young, three years old, he was very sick, very, very sick. His body wasn't taking in food. It wasn't taking in any liquids. And so he took him to the doctor, uh, gave him some vitamins. They had, they had all of these IVs and stuff hooked up to his little three-year-old son. He said it was very hard for him and his wife. Um, his son had been throwing up. They thought he was going to And um, in the hospital with all of those wires and leads and, 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 and uh, needles just poking their little boy. He was just devastated. Why can't we find... Uh, what's going on with him. The doctor came in and said, he needs to eat. He's got to eat. He needs to eat. And the, bur- and the nurse, they would bring in this, this tray of food, time, and he just wouldn't eat. The doctor said, he's got to eat. He's got to get food in his body. And Mark Worley told me he was literally on his knees, crying his eyes out, 
holding his son's hand, just saying, will you please eat? Will you please just eat? As if he was begging this three-year-old to just take in a little bit of food. Will you please just eat? And And that story made me wonder, I wonder if God is looking at us, his children, the church, so many Christians, anemic, stagnant, living in the world, will you just read? Will you just read? Will you, will you just open it and read the Word of the Lord, the Word of the living God, the Word that is living and active, life and energy? Will you just read it? Will you just read it? I wonder if that's what, the, what God is saying to His church today. Will you just read the Word? There are people starving for this Word in different countries. The fact that I can do this is like unfathomable to people in this world. Starving for this. Just starving for, for one page, one verse, one passage. And we have it at our fingertips. And so, read the Bible. That's what all of this is about. We've got to read the Bible Share the Bible with our kids. Share the Bible with our spouses. Share the Bible with strangers. Share the Bible with our neighbors. But we can't share it if we don't know it. And so here's some practical tips on the next slide I think we might have. There's a lot of different acrostics that you could use for studying the Bible to help you. This is MAPS. This is one I like. It's called MAPS. Meditate and memorize. Meditate and memorize. Again, I talked about that. Read the Bible. Don't just read it and check off a box. Meditate on it. Meditate on it. Think of what God is saying and memorize it. Hide it in your heart that you might not sin against God. Meditate and memorize and then apply it. How can I apply this to my life? There's going to be some things you read you just you don't feel like there's application there. That's why we read a, a, a variety of things. Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, all those things. How can I apply this to my life today? Pray the Word. And we're going to look at that in a couple of weeks how we can actually pray the Bible back to God. But quite simply, I've already showed you an example. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Lord God, help me to not sin. Help me to not sin. That's a prayer straight from the Bible. So pray this word. Use this word to guide you in your prayer life. And then share the word. And if you just do this, I want to read, I want to meditate, I want to memorize, I want to apply this to my life as a Christian today, living in 2021. I want to let this word guide my prayer life. And then I want to share this word. I want to share with people, Christians and non-Christians, friends, neighbors, family members, relatives, whoever it is. I want to share what God is showing me in His Word. Share the Word. Don't just read the Bible. Think through it. Ask questions. Well, This is what I learned in Bible college, and this is where I'll, I'll wrap up. Um, it's called inductive Bible study. Observation, uh, next slide, interpretation and application. Op- observation, interpretation, and application. And so, observation. Ask questions like this. Next slide. Who, what, when, where, why, how? Now, in our Bible reading in this month, we're reading Colossians, right? Colossians, the Apostle Paul. Who, who wrote Colossians? Well, you'd see in, in the first couple of verses, the Apostle Paul. Who's he writing to? Uh, where is, what is Colossians? Who are Those are people. That's a church. You ask these questions. Who, what, when, where, why, how? What does this have to do with me? You know, who, what, when, where, why, how? And as you read, make note, repeated words. Repeated words matter. Look for repeated words. I can actually send a copy to some of you if you're interested in this. Anything that can be put into a list. So, so start to categorize things. And this can all be done in simply a, a, a quiet time reading, uh, daily quiet time reading. This doesn't have to require two hours of your day. Uh, word to, words that indicate a change in topic or time. 
Words that contrast one thing against another. Words that indicate cause and effect. Those are just simple things as you read the Bible. Who, what, when, where, why, how. How does this apply to me? Observe repeated words. Just basic things. Basic things. Interpretation. Interpretation. Uh, so again, back to Colossians. What's the cultural timing of this? The, the historical and cultural uh, context of this passage or Bible book that I'm reading. Um, because it still applies to us today. Uh, what else uh, do I know about the book? Author, in broader context of the passage. There are different Bibles, study Bibles that you can get. There's actually a few of them out here that Reba brought that you can take for free, and it will help you answer all those questions. There's maps. There's, there's a lot of things that are very helpful when we read the Bible. You don't have to read this Bible and not have any clue what you're reading. Okay? This is a love letter for us. It's about Jesus, the Savior of the world. Genesis to Revolution. Uh, <laughs> Revelation. We need a revolution of some kind, I'm sure, but what other scripture passages might help me better interpret this one? And so let the Bible interpret the Bible. Right? Let the Bible interpret the Bible. There's verses that will help you unpack other verses, is the point. Um, so, what is the clearest meaning of the text? And so, there are just, these are just simple ways to think when you read, and then application. Reflect on it, meditate and memorize. Go back to the five questions who, what, when, where, why, how? How can I apply this to? my life, and what action, actions do I need to take? And the worship team can come up. What commands are there to obey? What commands are, read the Bible, what do I need to do? How am I to obey uh, God's word today? What commands are there to obey, and what sins do I need to repent of? You read the Bible, you're going to come across things where the Holy Spirit's going to show you this is a way where you need to make a turn in your life. Shouldn't be a day that goes by in the life of a Christian where we're not repenting of sin daily. 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 And so what commands are there to obey and what sins do I need to repent of? Um, This may have seemed more like a class than a sermon, but it's just been on my heart that the Word of God is is our foundation for this church. And it has been. Um, If you go to our website, you'll see what we believe about the Bible. And so to read it is to find life and energy is the point. To read it is to, to be an empowered Christian, to live the Christian life. You can't live the Christian life, number one, of course, without the Holy Spirit. Number two, to not know God. To know the Word is to know God. And to know God is to know the Word. And we've got to read it, young and old. This is our lifeline. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us through this Word. And so I hope that encourages some of you. Many of you are not even here. Maybe you watch this later, but this is the Word of God. It's the Word of the living God. It's alive, it's active, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. You ever seen a two-edged sword? A sharp two-edged sword? This is more powerful than that. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Meditate on that. What does that even mean? All I know is that it's powerful. It's powerful. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this word. Lord, this was long-winded, but God, I, I do hope and pray that it can be useful to the Christians in the room. Father, this word really is living and active and And I I pray that it is uh, not only foundational for our church, but foundational for our lives and for our families and for our households and for our parenting and and, uh, and our marriages, Lord God. Let this word be be life and energy in our marriages. Uh, Father, I pray a blessing over every person in this room that your Holy Spirit would encourage and lift up and build up and lead and guide into a life devoted to the reading and studying of your word. Because, Lord, we know that you will show up powerfully and mightily through our time in your word. And so, God, I thank you for that. 
I thank you for that. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.